Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Welcome to a voyage of discovery and awareness of the richness, the diversity, and the often surprising nature of living with the land. Hey everybody, welcome to Unlocking the Magic. Today, we are truly honored. I might have been a little starstruck, actually, but we have today with us someone very special, someone that we have admired for many, many years. He is the original Imagineer. He's the author of Dream It, Do It, my half century creating disney's magic kingdoms and most recently and maybe my most favorite newest book one little spark mickey's 10 commandments and the road to imagineering you guessed it marty sklar um marty welcome to the show thank you so much for joining us we are big fans i think i i don't think i bought your first book dream it do it at the writer stop at hollywood studios uh, many years ago, and I and I think I read the whole book while we were on vacation because I started to read it, and I couldn't put it down. It was just a really great book. And then when we got your second book, One Little Spark, um, it really encompasses the philosophy that we try to have with our kids, which is try to find what you like to do. And I love the the part in the book where you talked or through emails and letters with all the Imagineers about you know, their tips and ideas because they get asked all the time about how to become an Imagineer and what they would do if they could kind of do it all over again. I love that part of the book. Yeah, thank you. That was important to me that the book not be just about me, but rather about how so many different Imagineers have taken so many different paths to get where they are because there's no formula. There's no one way. And uh, young people can't look for that one way because uh, a lot of things are individual to the uh, person that is doing it and the talents of that person. So it was important to get all those perspectives, I think. Yeah, it was great to read their different perspectives. And it's great to read because as a parent, um, we tend to push our kids in a certain direction, even though that may be what we want, but not what they want. And it's important for the kids to kind of find out what they like to do on their own. Well, one nice part about the book that I've enjoyed, I've heard from four or five different um, schools that they're using it as a text, and uh, including a couple of college courses. So uh, I think it uh, it did what it was intended to do. Yeah, it was, it was a-, a really, yes, very, I couldn't put the book down. And actually, after I got finished reading with it, uh, Bruce read it, and now our 14-year-old uh, has picked it up, and she's reading it. So it really um, is a special book that you can share with all uh, the whole family, which I really, I really love. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, so for anybody who hasn't heard your backstory, can you bring us back to the first day when you're in college and the Walt Disney Company calls you and says, hey, we want to have you interview for a job? That must have been a scary part for your career. Well, it was kind of... Um confusing in, in one sense because I was uh, living at my fraternity while I went to, to uh, UCLA and uh, I, w- didn't, I wasn't there when the call came in from a car walker and a message was left for me and 
I thought one of my fraternity brothers was playing a joke on me because <laughs> he was uh, uh, his father at the time was one of the people who ran the Desert Inn in Las Vegas, and the only part I could think of was uh, had to do with uh, somebody dealing cards in Vegas or something. So I just I didn't even answer answer the the uh, return the call. Fortunately, oh my. Mr. Fortunately, Mr. Walker called me back, and it turned out to be E. Carden Walker, who was then the head of marketing for the studio and the movies and and uh, uh, the beginnings of Disneyland. And uh, he asked me to come in for an interview, which I did, and they hired me uh, the the uh, summer after my junior year. Uh, and I went to work at Disneyland a month before Disneyland opened. That's amazing. Were you nervous in your interview? What was the interview process like? Did you did you meet Walt Disney in the interview or after you already started working there? No, I met Card Walker and one of his associates called, uh, his name was, was Jimmy Johnson, and he ran the record company. Uh, and uh, they, they were the ones that interviewed me. And the good news, I guess, was that... Uh, Card was a was a UCLA graduate, so that was part of uh, the reason that uh, I guess they uh, when they went looking for uh, some somebody to do this job, which uh, the whole uh, idea was to have uh, an, a, a tabloid newspaper that Walt wanted to do on Main Street at Disneyland the first summer, and I had uh, just. Uh, uh, I, I was about to be the editor of the Daily Bruin uh, newspaper, student newspaper at UCLA. So I guess I had the right formula. And subsequently, I, uh, the, somebody in the archive sent me a memo that uh, uh, Ed Ettinger, who became my first boss at Disneyland, sent to Walt about having found someone who, who edited this newspaper, and it's a very short memo, but it's kind of interesting. It goes back to uh, June of 1955. And what was, so the newspaper that you were writing for Disneyland, what was the stories involved? How did you come up with those stories? Well, Wall wanted to, uh, kind of like the windows on Main Street, you know, he wanted to thank so many people for having helped him accomplish what he wanted to do with Disneyland. So the newspaper was really, it was about, uh, I think it was 28 or 32 pages. And uh, it was uh, really a, a, the story of Disneyland and a tribute to a lot of the people that had had uh, uh, helped him make, make uh, Disneyland possible. And uh, my, my favorite uh, piece was uh, I got... Um, one of the, um, I, I can't think of his name at the moment, but he was a, uh, a writer at the studio, wonderful writer, uh, and he wrote a column called Under the Gaslights. Yeah, uh, he was a publicity writer who uh, was at retirement age, actually. Oh, now I remember his name. His name was Jack Youngmeyer, with a J, J-U-N-G Meyer, Youngmeyer, Youngmeyer. And uh, he was really a good writer, and he, he wrote a column 
called Under the Gaslights, which was about um, having come down to Disneyland and, and seen Walt wandering all by himself and, and uh, the nostalgia of uh, Walt having created uh, this place that meant so much to him and, and reminded, in some sense, of the, for example, Main Street, uh, reminded him so much of his boyhood uh, home in Marceline, Missouri. So, uh, it, you know, I, I was fortunate in having access to some of the really good writers at the studio who helped me with the uh, newspaper. And there was a lot of material that had been written, of course, for publicity purposes that I had access to. And so, you know, it was pretty heady stuff for me. I was 21 years old at the time. And uh, uh, actually, I started in June, mid-June of 1955, a month before Disneyland opened. And two weeks after I went to work, I had to present the concept for this newspaper to the Walt Disney. Wow. And uh, as you can imagine, I'm 21 years old, never worked professionally. And I was scared as hell. I really <laughs> was. Uh, but but um, I, I've, I've reflected on that many times subsequently in you know, all the years that have passed. And I realize now that that, uh, that was probably the turning point in my career. Uh, the first thing I ever did professionally because if uh, if Walt didn't like what I had presented, he would have they would have gotten a, one of the pros at the studio to do this newspaper. But he really liked what I had presented, so I got to stay. <laughs> I got to stay for fifty some years. Wow. Do you remember what you presented to Walt Disney? Like what what the concept was? Oh sure, it was a tabloid newspaper, and and uh, one of the things that I had the good fortune of uh, at, at UCLA, um, I knew we used a printer who uh, knew uh, about a, a type house in Hollywood that had the, all the old-fashioned woodblock types that they used to use around the turn of the century. So I was able to go to to that. Uh, type house and, and actually use some of those uh, old authentic woodblock types that they used to use in newspapers around the turn of the century. Oh wow! The turn of the of the twentieth century. Uh, so uh, it had an authentic look. And then uh, one thing that was interesting was uh, there was a shop on uh, Main Street. It's where the hat shop is in Town Square now, and uh, it was where the strollers and wheelchairs at that time uh, were rented. And also, you could go in, and they had a, a, a little printer, and uh, we would leave the headline off the newspaper, and uh, you could get your name printed, and, you know, Bruce and Connie visit Disneyland. Wow. And... Uh, so that was a nice souvenir for people too. I wonder if there's any of those left around anywhere. Gosh, I don't know. I never even had it done for me. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> no. <laughs> so One thing, when you're when you're working on all these things, you don't take the time to yeah to uh, do the kinds of things that uh, except 
as an example, when we when we try to roll something out, we do try to uh, uh, experience what the guest is going to receive or or experience. Right. You think of it as the the person making it, but you don't really think of the person using it. Like you wouldn't go there and write your own newspaper. Marty was at Disneyland. That is just something, not something that you would do, but we would do that as the consumer. I wish I had done it though. I know, huh? <laughs> yeah, um, that would have been a great souvenir. <laughs> <laughs> how long did you do the new Disneyland newspaper? How long were you on that part of the job? Well, I only worked the first summer, uh, uh, in the PR department at Disneyland, uh, and then I went back to school because I still had my senior year to finish, which I did, and, and I went to work uh, during my senior year for uh, uh, an advertising trade publication in Los Angeles. I, I worked maybe uh, six or eight months for them, and then after I graduated, I uh, went back to Disneyland in the fall of 56, and then uh, stayed till I retired and. Uh, 2009. Wow. When you were in college, were your college, uh, the people who went to school with you, were they uh, like fascinated with the fact that you worked for Disneyland and, you know, have met Walt Disney? Were they asking you all kinds of questions and were they uh, like happy? I was thinking, were yeah. you a celebrity? <laughs> yes. That's what I was trying to say. Well, not, not so much uh, because uh, Disneyland was brand new then and uh, a lot of students that, that I knew had not even been to Disneyland by that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it, if, if it were today, it would be very, very different. Right. But uh, at that time, uh, there was uh, not as much knowledge about uh, Disneyland. And, and, yeah, there were a few people that, that knew that what I'd done and... and uh, were interested in knowing more, but uh, it wasn't anything like it is today. Right. And then you transitioned into writing for Walt Disney. What was that like? Well, that was quite uh, an unusual opportunity because when I came back in the fall of 56, um, Walt wanted to start communicating about uh, future projects and also about uh, opportunities for sponsors uh, because that sponsorship money was important to cre- create new attractions. So uh, I was, even though I was in the publicity department at Disneyland, I was kind of loaned to WED, WED Enterprises, which was uh, Walt's company that he had formed in 1952 to design Disneyland. And uh, I did three, uh, I guess he'd call them, booklets more than brochures. One was called Disneyland USA, and it was the story of Disneyland. It was really aimed at, at uh, sponsors. And then there were two more. One was called uh, uh, Edison Square, uh, and uh, it was uh, Walt wanted to do a street at, uh, off Main Street that was based on uh, uh, Thomas Edison and the advent of electricity, and so that that brochure was aimed probably more at General Electric than anything. Um, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, ultimately that uh, became 
the story of the Carousel Progress for the New York World's Fair. Um, but at the time, it was thought of as a as a walk through the street, kind of like um, um, Greenfield Village that Henry Ford had done in uh, in Dearborn, Michigan. And then the other was uh, about Liberty Square, and uh, Walt wanted to do a, a, a street, another uh, street off Main Street, uh, based on uh, the advent of the country and the Constitution. And, of course, that became Liberty Square at, at, in the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, ultimately. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, that, that put me in touch working with all the great people at WED, and it was the first time I worked with uh, Dick Irvine, who ran uh, the design company, and Bill Cottrell, who was the president of WED, John Hens, Herb Ryman, and Claude Coates, and all those great people that became my colleagues later. But it was the first time I had uh, worked uh, with them. It's amazing to us to hear you mention those names because they're, you know, Disney legends and you hear about those people and you worked with them. For us, it's, you know, it's a legend, but for you, it's, you know, what you did for so many years. Well, you know, it was a lesson that I never forgot that here I was, uh, gosh, I was 22, 23 years old. And uh, as long as Walt or Dick Irvine um, put me on a project, they accepted me as though I'd been there 30 years. And, and because they, they just said, well, if uh, Walt put Marty here, he must know what he's doing. <laughs> right. Right. So uh, and I never forgot that because uh, I think it carried over in my whole career in leadership at Imagineering, particularly during the Epcot project, where we had so many young people uh, really doing something for the first time and taking a chance that they could accomplish what we needed them to do. And I think a lot of that came from the acceptance that I had from the John Henches and the Herb Rymans and Claude Coates and Mark Davis and Lane Gibson and so, so many more. That's amazing. It's amazing to hear you say those names. Now, Walt Disney had a knack for putting people in the right spot, even if they maybe didn't think they were a good fit there. What made you? What made? What made him so good at that? Do you know? Is do you have an answer for that? Well, I think Walt was willing to take a chance on people as well as projects, and um, he he knew his talent. I mean, I always <laughs> I, I always said that. Claude Coates and Mark Davis would never go to lunch with each other, but when you put them together to do Pirates of the Caribbean, it was magic, you know? Yeah. Because Claude's skills were things like uh, laying out a ride and determining where the different uh, characters should go. And then Mark's skill was doing all the gags and and the, the humor and, and the wonderful characters that he created. Uh, and so when you mix those two things together, it was really terrific because you were putting two uh, of the, the best ever talents uh, together to do something. Yet they 
they were not friends. They were not close to each other. And it didn't matter, you know, because uh, they didn't have to go to lunch with each other to do the kind of thing that Walt needed from them. That's awesome. Now, when what, you, you got it, Connie. I was, I was wondering what it's like reflecting now, Marty. What, it's, what is it like for you when you visit the parks now? Can you go into the parks now, sort of incognito, or is it really hard for you to visit as a, as a guest? It's probably easier now than when my kids were young because uh, when, my, when my, two, my son Howard and my daughter... Especially when they were young, after a while, they didn't want to go to the parks with me. And I, I couldn't figure out why. And it wasn't until much later when they were well grown up that they told me. And they said, you know what? You walk, we walk down Main Street with you and you pick up trash. <laughs> and and uh, if somebody is taking a picture with their family, you stop and say, uh, could I take that picture for you, et cetera? They said, they said well, it would take us a half an hour to get down Main Street. <laughs> so we didn't have any of the fun that... <laughs> we, that all the other guests were enjoying. You were working. Uh, <laughs> it, it was like part, it was part of your life at that point. Like, that was just what you did. It wasn't, it, was the second, it wasn't the second thought for you. Well, sure, because, you know, it's hard when you create these things. It's hard. It's hard to go and not look for the things that are not being operated uh, the way you'd like to see them or something that wasn't properly maintained or whatever it is, uh, uh, something that's out of sync in, in, in uh, narration or something like that. And those are the things that, that you're more aware of than than uh, any of the guests are. The guests might not even notice any of the, those things. And uh, yet, that's what we're trained, that's what we did, and we know how something is supposed to run, and, and if it isn't uh, being run that way, and by the way, the parks do a great job. They really do. Yeah. Some of the shows that I've written about, uh, like my, my favorite maintenance, uh, job is in Epcot on the American Adventure. I, I, they've done such a spectacular job of keeping that show pristine and running just the way it was when when we left it originally, and they're so proud of it. And uh, so, so that kind of dynamic between the designers and, and the operators is really a key to so much of uh, why... Disney, the Disney Park works so well for our guests. It is truly amazing. When now, let me ask you. I have. A, I'm curious about this one myself because I know how hard writing is. And when you write for a, uh, a man like Walt Disney, who is known to be, for being a perfectionist, was it hard to write his speeches and the things that he was going to talk about? And how long? I, I was. I'm curious about how long that process took and how many times you went back and forth and where it began. So much information that I would love to know about that. Well, I, as far as I know, Walt only uh, made one real speech, and uh, I didn't write it. It was uh, uh, to the theater owners of America. What I wrote, I wrote for uh, uh, for some television things uh, and uh, the film about Walt Disney World and Epcot, and I did Walt's uh, messages for the annual report 
for about four years, company's annual report, and then all the souvenir guides and special things we did to market the parks that I used to do. You know, and it started out where um, I would uh, either meet with him and get a sense of what he wanted to do or uh, send him a note uh, suggesting some things. But after a while, um, he trusted me enough so that, for example, on the annual reports, um, Bobby Moore, who was the art director at the studio uh, for marketing things, and, and I would sit down with Roy Disney because of the, the annual, annual report was a, at first was almost all a financial report. We turned it into a marketing uh, job with the messages from Walt and Roy and a lot of uh, publicity kind of things. So uh, we'd sit down with, with Roy and, and then come up with a, uh, with a theme for the annual report, and then I would write Walt's piece without, after a while without even talking to him and then send it to him. Uh, so that kind of trust was was really important over time, and and something that I really valued for, uh, quite a bit that he trusted me to be able to do this without uh, uh, without even sitting down with him. And then I get notes back, of course, and uh, and things he he wanted to emphasize or change or whatever it was. Much different than now because it was really notes. It wasn't emails or text messages or anything like that? Oh, no. You know, you'd have to write a, a memo and, and uh, have a secretary type it and, my God, the carbon paper. And <laughs> it's a different world, I'll tell you. Now, I wonder if Walt could have envisioned what, what Disney World and Disneyland and the Disney Company as a whole uh, has come to be now because he always had... You know, he was always looking to the future, but he was really a nostalgic type of person as well. Do you think that he envisioned what it be, what it is now? Is that something that he could have foreseen in the future for the Walt Disney Company when he was alive? Well, I don't think he'd be very much surprised. In fact, uh, I was asked numerous times while I was working, uh, what would Walt think, you know? And I never answered that question until we finally did, uh, when we did Hong Kong Disneyland, and somebody asked me the question in uh, Cantonese, and so it was being interpreted. I had a little time to think about it, and uh, finally said, they said, what would Walt think? And I said, well, Walt would say, what took you so long? <laughs> oh, that's too funny. <laughs> that's hilarious. Funny because you know, he was impatient, but I remember... Uh, for a, a, a for the presentation that I wrote for him uh, when uh, Walt and Roy announced uh, with Governor Burns announced the Walt Disney World project in 1965 um, we we uh, did a search and got the interpret the uh, uh, his the the way his uh, foreign television was was done. So, in other words, we used a lot of uh, um, French and and Japanese. Walt being uh, uh, Walt 
talking uh, on those television shows that had at the time they were not uh, they were all uh, done with a voiceover that was supposed to be Walt's voice, and so we had 22 different uh, uh, languages, and this was 1965. So wow. it, you know Disney was worldwide then uh, already. So it was only time. It was only a matter of time before the parks also became worldwide, um, and uh, so that that really. I don't think it would have surprised Walt at all that uh, uh, the, the worldwide impact of what he had started. Yeah, he was really a great entrepreneur, even in even in today's standards. So back to your book, um, you know, reading the book, it's really super interesting. It's almost as if you read my mind when we received the book. It unlocked a lot of the attractions that you had uh, hands-on experience with and some flops um, that you shared, which I thought was really interesting to see that kind of insight. But what I was curious, what was your favorite attraction that you worked on? Do you have one? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's like saying your, your favorite child. Right, exactly. I just realized it as I said it out loud that that's going to be a really tough question to answer. Well, you know, I always have been asked many times about my favorite park, and of course, Disneyland is that because it's the only one that Walt ever walked in. Number one, number two, it was the foundation for everything that was done subsequently around the world. Twelve other, uh, twelve parks in total now with Shanghai, uh, which is, by the way, is a fabulous park, really wonder, wonderful to take advantage of uh, everything Disney's done in the parks over time. And the Pirates uh, attraction is really unbelievable. It's really fantastic. Um, but of course, I, I have a hard time saying not saying Epcot was my favorite project because we spent uh, eight years uh, from the time we started to the time we opened, and uh, there was no precedent for it because all the other parks were fantasy-based, and here was a park that was uh, reality-based, if you will. Right. Um, as someone had said, the, the other parks take uh, uh fantasy real, and, and Epcot makes reality fantasy in many ways. Huh. Uh, and uh, so, you know, Epcot is pretty close to to uh, my favorite. I, and, and one of my favorite attractions is the Land Pavilion in, in uh, Epcot because it has a story that's important to tell about food production around the world and and then you go into this area where you're you're actually seeing the food growing and uh, then to take it another step you can go into the restaurant in the in the land and uh, eat the food that we're growing yeah. there that to me that is uh, it's a demonstration of what really 
what Walt really wanted to accomplish with the whole community of that. We I'm so excited to mention the Land Pavilion because that is our ultimate favorite in Epcot. Oh, yeah, that, that's mine. I love. I get overwhelmed looking around at all the different vegetables and fruits that they grow and how they grow. It's amazing to see all that stuff. Oh yeah, I I think back to uh, we did a quarter scale uh, demonstration of that at the University of Arizona, where uh, Dr. Carl Hodges uh, was really the one that helped us uh, create that growing uh, area. And uh, we we walked through a quarter of the the whole uh, ride laid out. And when we were finished, uh, Carl Hodges said to me, "He said, now where do we keep the bees?" <laughs> and I I said, "Carl, we're in an open boat, no bees." And he said, "Well, how are we going to how are we going to pollinate the food?" <laughs> I said, "You know something, Carl." We're story people here. You're the technologist. You're going to tell me how you're going to pollinate the food. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. You never, you never really think about that while you're riding the attraction. Well, they have to hand pollinate all of that. Yeah. And about, uh, I think it's about once or twice a week they have to go through and, and uh, pollinate all, all that food so it keeps growing. Wow. That's awesome. That's incredible. I'm we love taking the kids on that attraction. And one thing that we love about all the parks is that we feel that the kids are enjoying themselves, they're being entertained, but they're also learning something. Um, and it makes it really special. It's, it's a way for us to connect as a family. And that's one of the reasons why we love going to Disney World often. And that land pavilion is a must-do every time. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's very, uh, very special. And you know, um, one of the things that that uh, we can you can you trace with so many different attractions, not just in Epcot, but it, but in Epcot particularly, is that uh, learning can be fun. Yeah, and uh, we can make it fun, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, you can uh, be serious about certain certain things, tell serious stories. The American Adventure is a wonderful example. Of, of that and yet at the same time it's entertainment it's fun and it's an experience like uh, that that uh, um, the ride through in the land is is a experience that you can't have anywhere else and I think those are the kinds of things that Disney um, is so good at doing yeah and we talk about that on the show a lot just you know many times people go to Disney World and or Disneyland or any of the parks and they try to do as much as they possibly can. And we always say, you know what, take a step back, relax a little bit, slow down and, and, and take a look around because there's so many more messages that you'll find if you do that way than trying to just go from attraction to attraction. Yeah. I learned uh, something early uh, on at Walt Disney World. I think it was the first time I took both my kids and their families and uh, uh, I had a whole schedule set up, and uh, the third day um, at dinner the, the night before, the, I guess the end of the second day, I said to the, uh, everybody, now, tomorrow, here's what our schedule is, and my son said to me, tomorrow, we're sitting by the pool. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's so funny. That sounds like Connie. <laughs> oh, here, here's the thing. If you go to Walt Disney World and you say, I'm going to try to do everything here, you're going crazy. Yeah, there's so I much mean, to you do. You can't do it. You've got to pick it, choose, and say, okay, this trip I'm going to do such and such and such and such, and the next trip I'll save for doing this and that. And you'll have a much better time if you schedule yourself that way. Right. We're actually making our first trip to Disneyland. We've been to Disney World many, many, many times. But we're making our first trip to Disneyland in two weeks. Oh, well, congratulations. Thank you. We're um, very, very excited. Yeah, very, we're, we're in Boston, so we're kind of far away from the uh, Los Angeles, California area. But uh, we're making the trek out there, which is going to be our first trip. The kids are really excited to like you said, walk the park that Walt Disney actually saw and walked in. Yeah, you'll find Disneyland is a, um, it's a much more, um, I don't want to say, it's, it's much, things are much closer together. The big spaces, the things that we did at Walt Disney World and later where you realize how many people you had to uh, handle. In those early days, uh, the Imagineers really uh, didn't have the experience to know if that they were going to get 15 million people a year coming through this place. Right. So things are a lot uh, closer together, and there's some nice uh, little off-the-beaten-path places that you can, you can go at Disneyland, and it's, it's a really nice feeling. I'm looking forward to it. I'm a very nostalgic person myself, so just being able to be at the exact park where you know it all started is just a, a true honor and such an honor to have you on our show, Marty. I can't thank you enough. And we're definitely going to spread the word about your book, One Little Spark, Mickey's Ten Commandments and the Road to Imagineering. It's a really great book for you, your family, everybody in your family. It's a great read. Um, I highly recommend it. Well, thank you. It's been fun talking to you. Thank you so much, Marty. We really appreciate you taking your time out of your day. It's really an honor for us to have you and talk to you. It's, it's you know, maybe, not, yeah. I, I said I, I was nervous in the beginning, but like you said, it's just it's just a talk between three. I feel like we're friends now. And <laughs> <laughs> See, you can be very relaxed on the telephone. <laughs> yeah, right. Much more nervous in person, definitely. I was just going to say, although it'd be incredible to meet someday in person. Well, thank you very much. I'd like to do that. All right. Thank you, Marty, so much for joining us. I hope you have a great day. Okay. You, you guys, too. Thank you. Bye. Thank Bye. you. All right. I just want to say thank you to Marty for coming on the show with us and giving such a great interview. I know that he probably gets requests to be on a lot of different podcasts or interviews and uh, just really honored that he took the time out to join us today. And I hope that uh, we did that interview well enough for him. I hope that I got one word in. <laughs> I think you got some at the end. You seem to warm up towards the end. And, you know, in the beginning, it was, you know, when we do interviews, it's a hard part of letting them talk and listening and then trying to, you know, fit in your next question with what they just talked about. And sometimes that changes. So you have to really be able to listen to what they're saying and then ask questions based on that. Well, you're great at that. Thank goodness. I was a little starstruck. But I don't know if I'd say I'm great at it. <laughs> You're good at it. How about that? Thank God you showed up. Thank you. Because <laughs> I couldn't do it by myself. It's truly teamwork. And I'm 
was more surprised at the fact that he was so, so humble. I was going to say, Marty made that like, really easy. He made that, you know, because there was never a point where he got flustered. You know, you ask him questions, and he's like, yep, that's exactly, this is what happened. Or if you, you know, I think I might have asked him a question in there, and he's like, you know what? He didn't really give any speeches. I just feel truly honored, and it really felt like as if we were sitting around a table enjoying coffee with Marty. Exactly. That's the that's what I wanted to go for. I don't want it to be a when we do these interviews with people. I want it uh, these interviews. My goal is to have it uh, you listening at home right now to be a fly on the wall as we meet these people for the first time and have have a conversation. Not about hammering them with fifty different questions. Really, just they we ask a question, they answer it. I want it to be a natural conversation. Well, I think you achieved that. I, on the other hand, stayed quiet for most of it, but he definitely brought out a lot of personality and I was so happy to see because I did I did get relaxed towards the end and again he was just so humble and relaxed that it truly felt like a casual conversation you would never guess that this person had done so many great things throughout his career it's amazing just, it's amazing to think about all the people that he mentioned in the episode and all the things that he achieved it's just unbelievable unreal all right thank you Marty for coming on the show with us and if you want to hear you know if you have any suggestions for guests that we should have on the show shoot us an email uh, info at unlockingthemagic.com or uh, a message on Facebook because Connie will react to those a little bit quicker. Those are really easy. Facebook.com forward slash unlocking the magic. You can also join us Friday, uh, 7.30 Eastern time for our live show every Friday. This is our last show at home. If you're listening to this Tuesday when it comes out in October, uh, Friday will be our last show live at the home base. Woohoo! For this week at least. And then we'll be in uh, Disneyland. So the next live show will be in Disneyland. And uh, we're super excited about going there. We'll probably forget to live stream and do all that stuff because we'll be so excited to be there. Yeah. (laughs) I have that feeling too. We'll come home and be like, dang, we didn't take any pictures or video or anything. We're just so excited to be there. Maybe we should involve the kids to do that. Okay. Or send us a (laughs) message. Let us know that you want uh, videos or pictures and stuff like that. And uh, we'll, we'll do some live shoot streaming for sure great all right thank you guys for listening really appreciate it if you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes that we do if you could give us a review on itunes that would really help us grow the show and uh you know get some more great guests on like marty to come on and join us and have a nice conversation about disney and everything that these these great guests have accomplished in their careers amazing thank you guys so much all right thanks we'll see you